the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Oh, yes, indeed he is. They checked my ID at the door, let me in anyway, so we can spend a couple of hours together here again on this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. How are you? Welcome to the midday uh, mid part of the week here, and uh, we've got a pretty jam-packed program for you. Coming up a little bit later on in tonight's show, we are going to meet a former Fed, an undercover narcotics agent that went rogue, dealing with the trauma of multiple layers of work-related post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as some physical issues that led him to a downward spiral. You wonder, how do you come back after that? We're going to find out. A special guest join us a little bit later on. Author of a new book called Christ-Centered Healing of Trauma, Healing a Broken Heart. We'll get to that conversation later on tonight. Plus, the slap that was heard around the world, and as much as there's debate, was it staged, wasn't it? It raises some questions. Speaking of last Sunday night's Oscars, it raises some questions related to the way we comport ourselves publicly, and whether or not perhaps society, maybe even in the wake of COVID, is losing impulse control. Our friend Dr. Greg Jans, founder of the Center for Counseling and Health Resources, will join us with some insights later on in tonight's program. But I want to lead off with an important story. You've heard of medical tourism. These are folks that maybe traveled predominantly to South America for things like plastic surgery because it's just too expensive here in the United States or or largely inaccessible for some folks. California, of course, now pledging to respond to states like Texas and Mississippi related to further restrictions on abortion on demand is undoubtedly soon going to become an abortion tourism state. So not to be outdone, our friends to the north of us in Oregon are apparently ready to make some changes to invite suicide tourism. Really? Insights now from the Western Regional Director of the National Right to Life Committee and host of Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. He is also the author of the best-selling book, The Evil Twins, Roe and Doe, How the Supreme Court Unleashed Medical Killing. Brian Johnston joins us. And Brian, I got to tell you, it just seems as if they are attempting, well, they're sadly not just attempting, but succeeding in taking down as many guardrails as they possibly can. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how long it will be before a state like ours or Oregon's just says, you know what, if you just decide you're tired of living life, come on in, sign here, and uh, pay for your medication, and uh, you can bring life to a conclusion. I mean, that's essentially what this reduction in the guardrails related to assisted suicide in Oregon apparently does. Greg, it's 
just stunning. Um, what's happened in Oregon now, this happened just last week, the state of Oregon had a lawsuit that they surrendered to. And so it has changed the Oregon law. So now they must let in, and they accommodated that so they wouldn't be sued anymore, anyone from anywhere. But specifically, we need to realize that suicide can be... See, I don't like the word suicide, because when you have a third party involved... You know, if you go out to the Golden Gate Bridge, you've dealt with suicide a long time in California, and you jump off, well, that is a suicide. If someone pushes you off, that's more than a suicide. And that's what we're talking about with physician-assisted suicide. The physician is a perpetrator in this because the physician and anyone, to be honest, knows this intuitively. Psychologists have known it for a long time. The desire for suicide is the number one cry for help. When you have ideation of suicide, it means you're dealing with something you don't know how to handle. But back to what's happening in Oregon now, the fact that abuse here is possible, it isn't just possible, the list of included illnesses include diabetes and arthritis. And these are not terminal conditions. So if you have diabetes and arthritis, you can now go to Oregon. So please, watch over your loved ones. Please, if there's anyone you know that talks about suicide, pay attention to what they're saying because expressions of this desire is an indication that they're frustrated and dealing with something they don't know how to handle. But this is just incredible. Well, so, and, 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 you know, it, it, it sadly, I think also in a real way, uh, in addition to to reducing the barriers, uh, creates an atmosphere, as I alluded to earlier. You know, medical tourism is one thing. If you want to go get a nose job and can't afford a doctor here, I, I wouldn't go to Columbia for one, but I know people that have. But between California inviting essentially uh, abortion tourism, if you can't get an abortion in your state, come to here. Not only will we welcome you, we'll even pay for it. But now suicide tourism, and sadly, these physicians, I was reading some of the, the remaining guidelines that are in place, and you know what, what struck me, and see if you don't agree with me on this, Brian, what, what struck me was that m- many of the, the few remaining criteria essentially means all you need to do is find a physician or two that's, that's happy to do this for the sake of money. And, you know, we look at what's happened in this country in recent years with, for example, the millions of scripts that have been written for oxycodone for people that were not mm. patients that were suffering with severe cases of pain. They just went shopping for a doctor that would write them the prescription and they get a little bit of kickback. And, you know, everybody is happy, of course, until they're not anymore. But, you know, what people are willing to do for the sake of money is pretty frightening, and I would imagine that you'll find growing numbers of unscrupulous physicians out there that are willing to participate in all of this because whether it's providing oxycodone, abortions, or uh, signing off and, and providing the medication for a patient to uh, commit uh, suicide, which, as you point out, is more accurately murder, um, I, I just got to believe that we're going to see a significant uptick in this. Well, Craig, as you know, and uh, thank you for your kindness also in the past in promoting my book. It's really the point of my book regarding Roe v. Wade and Doe versus Bolton, even 
some lifers don't understand. The real issue from January 22nd, 73, is when the Supreme Court in Doe versus Bolton told doctors they were free to do whatever they felt and that no one could second-guess them. And any prosecution or possible prosecution was inappropriate. Doe versus Bolton changed the medical profession, removed the Hippocratic Oath, which for nearly 3,000 years has guided that profession to a place of honor. It's gone. Now, you may have a doctor, but you better ask them. You better find a doctor, and they're rare, who will commit to never, ever violating that oath. Usually they're a Christian of some sort. But there are a handful. I actually, I used to have a Chinese doctor. He's not a Christian. He was a Buddhist. But he was trained in Western medicine. He was one of my best doctors. And he was livid about the changes in the Hippocratic Oath. You've got to talk to your doctor. If you don't address the issue of medical killing, you're not pro-life. You're not addressing what's happened to our culture because this is the basis of normal civilization. And wherever this has been violated, I, I could go through the history, I don't tire people out, but we know that when doctors are killers, it's a sad, sad cultural change. And we need to address this quickly. And if Christians don't, I really don't know who will. Yep, well put. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, um, folks be on guard if you have a loved one that um, that starts to act and behave in ways that uh, that raises some suspicion or and, and I say this with no pun intended suddenly shows interest in going to go uh, you know visit Portland Oregon when they've never once traveled uh, north of Sacramento um you may want to really take a strong look at what's going on it is a sad state of affairs and sadly all of this is as a result of the direction that our nation is heading in. This is what happens when sin rules and where the preservative uh, is no longer preserving. And, um, yeah, you know, uh, sadly, this seems to be the slippery slope down which we are headed. It's not too stop, late to stop the trend, but um, people of good, good courage and, and, uh, and uh, faith need to stand up. Brian Johnston talks about these issues and more in greater depth on his program Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. here on KFAX. It's called Life Matters, and you can get more details, including a list of recent guests and podcasts, too, by going to CaliforniaProLife.org. That's CaliforniaProLife.org. His best-selling and insightful book, The Evil Twins, Roe and Doe, How the Supreme Court Unleashed Medical Killing, available through Amazon.com. 515 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Over the course of the past, well, couple of years now and uh, heading into uh, the start of our third year, actually, here in April, uh, we've all been through a pretty traumatic collective experience in this thing called COVID. And while some layers, uh, it, it seems to be subsiding, you just never know. Then I think about the news that we've been reading over the past month of the the horror being rained down on Ukraine by uh, Putin and uh, the Russian army. And I think, wow, if there's a case of people being dramatized, I don't know if there's a better example of the traumatic experience literally fleeing your home with bombs falling on your head. 
these sorts of experiences um, can create moments that just go beyond the pale, beyond our ability to, to emotionally process what's going on. And as a result, we act out in odd ways. Post-traumatic stress disorder, something that we began to understand a bit more about as Vietnam veterans were coming back from the effects of the war. World War II was shell shock, and, and then certainly as we learn more about it, we began to realize that post-traumatic stress disorder takes many forms, many fashions, and affects far more people than perhaps what we even realize. My next guest tonight has had experiences with that. And um, experiences in other forms and fashion that leads to quite an incredible testimony and an incredible story. Norm Weish is a former federal undercover narcotics agent. He has spent time in prison for making some very bad choices and um, has managed to change his life, turn his life around in a very significant fashion. He came to Christ while in jail has received a master's degree in theology and counseling, a doctorate in Christian theology, and joins us now to tell his story. He's got a couple of books out we'll tell you about in a moment. Meanwhile, Norm, good to have you with us. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Wow. Uh, This is all real and fresh for you, and I should mention to listeners that, uh, as I made a reference to COVID, um, it was actually COVID that helped lead uh, your ability to uh, literally get a get out of jail card early and and yep. thank god for that uh tell us a bit of your story i i made reference to the fact that you have been serving as a, an undercover narcotics agent you've got um, more than 26 years worth of service on the force it just seems like an awful lot of events sort of conspired against you physical health for yourself traumatic experiences that you were a part of in the line of duty along with some illness in the family to understand uh, ultimately had a toll on you. Yeah, and, and my story isn't really that much different from a lot of other people's, you know. But police officers, for like 26 years, we go through so many traumatic incidents on a daily basis that we're just not trained to deal with, right? The academy doesn't teach you to, to deal with the traumatic stress. They teach you to deal with, you know, work stress. And so it took a toll on my life, and, and I started experiencing depression in the early 2000s. But I was diagnosed with this um, neuromuscular disease where it finally took all the feeling and mobility out of my feet and my hands. And police officers don't want to go down without a fight, right? We're afraid to show any sign of weakness to not only the public but to our, our coworkers in our administration because that's the, the facade that we have to keep up, is that we're, we're tough. And it's the same with military veterans, you know. And there's a lot of other jobs, fire department, and, and a lot of jobs that don't want to show weakness. So all my negative emotions I always, you know, push down. And it was like God was calling me to them, but I ignored the call. And then my, um, my daughter experienced a, um, a severe illness that she wasn't, really going to have a good prognosis for. And um, I had 30 surgeries on my feet in a 10-year period. And, and because of all the pills they give you, I formed an addiction to op- opioids. And I found that the opioids took the edge off of the, the stress. And so I later became addicted to the opioids. And, of course, you know, the, the, the opioid 
symptoms, not symptoms, but the, the effects on the body can really make you do some stupid, make you do some stupid decisions. So um, I tried to commit suicide, and thank God, I, I believe stop, God stopped me. And I made some bad decisions that ended up landing me a 14-year prison sentence in a federal prison. But that you think that was the worst of it, right? But that's when God showed up, <clears throat> and God showed up in my life um, <laughs> divinely. And he he sent people across my path that taught me the gospel, and one pastor um, in particular called me and, um, and and led me to church and led me to Lord. And it, it was just awesome the way things happened. And, and this pastor, he prayed in church for healing for my daughter right during the middle of a sermon. And I wish we had more time to talk about it, but the whole church just prayed for my daughter. And then within uh, two months, we went back to the doctor, and um, they said that these, she had some tumors, and these tumors were gone. It, it was just amazing. And when... Um, when I it did end up going to prison, they shipped me off way, way far away in Texas. I mean, I'm here in the Bay Area. And God God was there, too. I mean, he, he led me to this prison that had a, uh, a seminary come in and teach. He led me to people who fed me more um, scriptures and, and taught me how to look at the scriptures, not from a... Uh, uh, a, a scientific or a um, reading a book, but from the heart. And it was just phenomenal. And um, I learned how God heals through my studies, and I didn't realize it was that easy. I went through three years of psychologists and psychiatrists, and not to say they didn't do me any good. They did me a lot of good, and I believe one psychologist in particular saved my life. But there was no healing. It was just coping. And... I decided then to, to to write a book and show people how easy it is to realign ourselves with God. And once we, because we get out of God's, God's fellowship when we continue to sin, right? Because what we do is we, when we feel down or depressed or anxious, we, we seek out things externally to fix an internal problem. And, and I was doing the same thing. I was, I was looking for, for things to make me feel better, but, but I miss the one thing that really heals is, is the presence of Jesus. Well, and you know, the amazing thing about what you're sharing, Norm, I want to highlight because you used two very important words. You talked about healing and coping and the contrast between the two. Mm-hmm. And, and, and certainly for people that have gone through tough experiences, and look, we, we, we've all gone through our own forms of trauma. It, it might be a divorce. It might be a failed um, business. It, it might be health problems. You know, we, we all have to kind of you know, deal with our own veil of tears, so to speak. And yeah. and there's a lot that the world can offer us in terms of, you know, stiff upper lip, hang in there, <laughs> self-talk, all of that that can provide some tools that may allow us to cope. But then the problem is there's such a degree of fragility there that one thing that upsets those coping skills, or if we develop extremely unhealthy coping skills mm-hmm. like self-medication, yeah. things of that sort that all of a sudden now our ability to cope ceases, and then the impact of that trauma when we can no longer manage tears us apart and and sometimes leads us to make some extremely bad decisions, up to and including, as you suggest, even considering taking one's own life. 
But God doesn't want us to cope. God wants to heal us. God wants to restore that which the locusts have eaten, right? Yes. And it sounds like you had to get through every experience in every fashion to strip away your own sense of of coping skills, your your own stick to And, you know, listen, let, let's everybody listening right now uh, be very clear about this. The expectations that we put on frontline respondents, whether you're a peace officer, you're working in, in undercover mm-hmm. narcotics, you're working as a firefighter, you're an ambulance driver, a paramedic, these are the people that get paid to run toward danger. If Listen, if I hear gunfire, I run away from that, right? Don't you? If, if the house uh, is on fire, you run out. But these individuals are trained to run toward danger to benefit and, and save the lives of the rest of us. And yeah. what that calls upon a person to do is just, quite frankly, so often uh, beyond the pale, beyond one's own ability in, 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 the, in the mortal plane to be able to use our own so-called human knowledge and coping skills mm-hmm. to make it through. And it sounds like you reached that point where you just you ran at the end of your rope and the end of you. And then in particular, um, Norm, i got to believe, uh, you know, prison is no place for anybody. But worst of all, it's no place for a cop. And worse than that, no place for a cop that's worked undercover. Because if they figure out who you are, that can be very, very deadly. Yes, it was very stressful. And, um, you know, after I was in for about six months, the Lord was telling me, you can't, I lied. I pretended I was a uh, fireman. (laughs) But the Lord got me and said, listen, if you want to make an impact on people and you want to bring people to me, you're going to have to tell the truth. So I ended up telling the truth. Wow. And um, it, it was really, there were some people in there that, that really were threatening. But in the most part, it was, I don't want to say a good experience, but a learning experience, right? If, if God was to come down right now and say, listen, I'll give you a do-over, I would say no. I, would, I really want to go through the experiences that I went through in order to make me the person that I am now. Because police officers, again, I'm not trying to put them down, but they have A-type personalities, right? Of course. They, they have to be this warrior person. And when they isolate themselves with each other, it becomes very bad for, for their, their psyche. It comes, it, it, they develop a us-against-them type of mentality, which I definitely had. And now I see things totally different. For instance, I never learned why people do the things they do. Why do people take drugs? You know, well, why can't they just stop? You know, pull up your bootstraps and stop. But I, I learned these things that there's so much trauma in life, and not just for first responders, but like you said, for everybody. I mean, you could have been bitten by a dog as a child, and you're, you're scared of dogs right now, but that's going to affect everything you do as an adult and even affect your relationships, you know? So the things that happen to us in childhood affect our relationships. And the stories of some of these guys that I met in prison are, are just horrific of, of in the, what their parents did and, and what in the neighborhood gangs did. It's, it, it's really sad. And I will never change that or want to change those experiences because now I'm working at a, a residential rehab facility in Antioch where I, I, I can relay my experiences, even though that I'm, I'm on the other, or I was on the other side, 
it shows them that anybody can mess up and anybody can, can come back out of their mistakes and, and do good. Well, it also gives you the capacity to be able to, to relate and to really show compassion. I mean, you know, one of the reasons why God chose to send his son and make him not all God, not all man, but, but a combination of the two was because mm-hmm. in his flesh it allowed him to experience pain, to know suffering, and to be able to relate to us. And so as a result, he can come bring healing to us because God, in in a very real, tremendous sense, knows what pain and suffering is all about, knows, at least in terms of what was directed for him, while sinless, nevertheless taking on sin itself and, and, and being a victim, in a sense, of man's sin condition, though he went willingly that we might be reconciled uh, to him through Christ's work on the cross. Nevertheless, boy, what talk about, you know, it's one thing to do the time because you, you did the crime. It's another thing to do somebody else's time on their behalf, and yet that, in a very real sense, is yeah. exactly what Christ did. He took on our punishment. We're visiting today with Norm Weish. His book, by the way, is called Christ-Centered Healing of Trauma, Healing a Broken Heart, and uh, you can get information about the book online by going to Christ-Centered Healing Book. Dot com. It's also available through Amazon or, again, through his website, ChristCenteredHealingBook.com. He put 26 years in as a peace officer. All of that came to a very tragic end, and yet through the trauma, God has been able to restore and not just give Norm coping skills, but restoration and healing. We'll talk more about this as our conversation with Norm Weish continues on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our conversation today with Norm Weish. Norm's got a new book out called Christ-Centered Healing of Trauma, Healing a Broken Heart. There's also a companion study book that's uh, ideal if you're looking to um, address this topic in maybe your uh, your small study group or church called Christ-Centered Healing of Trauma Study Guide. Again, available through his website at ChristCenteredHealingBook.com. Uh, Norm, it's just amazing the way in which God, in so many ways, in so many turns, showed up. Um, I was reading online that initially, uh, in the the initial indictment, um, you could have been facing life in prison. Instead, you were handed a 14-year prison term, and then, because of a miracle, God intervened, and at the point at which COVID was beginning to ravage uh, prisons all across the country, um, good behavior uh, gave you the opportunity to get out um, and find, suddenly find yourself back on the outside again and in turn ministering um, and being able to share your own experiences with others. Give me some insights in terms of just, to this day, how do you process all of this? I, it, it, it's phenomenal. I, I, I cannot understand it. God is great. God has a plan and purpose for all of us. And that's the biggest mistake that we all make is, when we go through a trial, we pray to God, please get us out of this. But we should be praying, God, what do you want me to learn from this? That's, that's the prayer we should be doing. Because as a Christian, our pain has a purpose. And I truly believe in my heart that I, I made the mistakes. Those were my sinful um, decisions that I made. But because I, I love him and I was doing my, his will in, in prison, I believe that he turned everything around for the good, and I think that this is a, a, 
a lesson for, for everybody to, to take, to look in, at their pain from a different perspective. But I, I still can't believe it. I mean, if I think back on God healed my daughter, God healed me, you know, a three years early out. Now, I'm not free to do whatever I want to do. I'm still under a lot of um, constrictions. But I'm home. I'm able to work. Um, I'm getting certified as a pastor here in the next month. Uh, not a pastor, I'm sorry, as a chaplain in the next month. And um, I'm beginning my, my ministry, and it's all because of him. And I truly believe that you reap what you sow. I, I sowed, I, I reap prison, but I sowed better seeds, and it, I'm coming out of it better. And a better person, and that's, that's the thing, is, for me, it's a better person. You uh, began this experience. Of course, you were not a believer. That that uh, awakening took place um, once you were once you were in prison. But for for believers that you're speaking to, largely in this audience tonight, um, what from your experience is the most important lesson that you would like to communicate when it comes to how we respond to trauma and what we allow trauma to do in our lives? You just touched on it. How we respond, right? It's not the traumatic event that actually oppresses us. It's our response to it. You know, when we start using drugs or alcohol to, to numb ourselves or to, to feel better, that's when we make the big mistakes because that's when we go further and further apart from God. You know, Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there is a space, and that space is our power to choose our response. In there, the response lies our growth and freedom. When, when you see God moving in your life, even if you don't understand it, even if you're wondering, God, I didn't deserve this, I, what did I do? God has a plan and purpose. And that's what I'd like people to understand is that there is purpose in your pain. And if we look at it from God's perspective, that God's not, not in the, the you know, feeling good business. He's in making you more like Christ. And I was had such a bad attitude, and I isolated myself, and, and I hated a, a lot of different people, and I really needed some humbling, and God did that. And I believe now that I, I learned why people do the things we do, I, I think we can help. And, and Corinthians says, you know, God allows us to go through things, and when He helps us get through them, we're supposed to help others we're going through similar incidents. What the enemy has intended for evil, God can use for good and for his glory. And uh, yeah. th- that certainly is a hallmark of your life experience and the story that you share. And uh, Norm, I'm, I'm sorry, we're out of time. And I would love oh. to have you back and, and, and dive deeper into this because there's so much to unpack here for so many people. I mean, aside from the miracle that God has wrought in your life, in, in dealing with your issues related to uh, pain medication addiction and and uh, your 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 experiences both while working in uh, police uh, department working in in the, in the under, undercover narcotics uh, agent I, I should say as well as your your jail experience and then ultimately the insights that God has given you in helping all of us understand more that it's not about simply learning how to cope, but rather God has healing in store for each of us if we are willing to trust Him, surrender to Him, and to not run from our problems, but to, to look at ways in which God can use our own pain to glorify Himself 
and help mm-hmm. others. Again, the book is called Christ-Centered Healing of Trauma, Healing a Broken Heart, available through Christ-Centered Healing Book dot com or through amazon.com written by my guest tonight norm weish norm love to have you back again anytime thank you so much i'm honored to be on your show we appreciate the time again and uh, you sharing some of your story all right we're going to take a time out when we come back we're going to turn a corner i don't want to talk about the academy awards boring but um talk about the deeper issue here that's been part of the national dialogue for the last several days and that is how do all of us deal better with maybe our own personal impulse control. Dr. Greg Jantz joins us, founder of the Center for Counseling and Healing Resources, as Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 